I mean, life would have been very different if I'd been Mary Crozier. I mean, it, it suggests the exotic. Crozier, freaks of Bergerac, vintage cars in affluent Jersey. I mean, perhaps Bergerac's father-in-law, Charlie Hungerford, might have stepped out with a Mary Crozier, but Mary Taylor, not so much. You seem to have strayed, Mary. Hmm? Oh, yes. My tangents have tangents. Back to the matter in hand. <clears throat> the talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 224 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Street catch-up podcast that would be quite happy to dedicate chunks of all future Monday episodes to the Rover Quiz Night on the proviso that we get to see every single round of Jigtig, and every single one of them features Dev. I'm Gavin. And I want everyone in the United <laughs> Kingdom to repeat after me, Pico de Gallo, not Pico de Gallo. Bake Off did a Mexican week this week, and as you can imagine... Everyone in North and South America are offended. <laughs> and I think uh, Spaniards probably as well. Maybe not so much. Well, the pronunciations. Well, see, the, but that's part of the problem because they were at times using Spanish pronunciation for words as opposed to Mexican pronunciation for words. Ah, I see. Yeah. And uh, Matt and Noel were wearing serapes and what they were calling sombreros and made a joke about a man named Juan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you get for watching Bake Off. I haven't even watched the episode yet. You get the Mexican jokes you deserve, people. <laughs> I haven't even watched the episode yet, but it's just been all That's over. That's not like you to comment on something that you haven't seen before. It's been all over the, uh, the Twitter. So many people offended. Meh. <laughs> And I just, I remember that, uh, that burrito I had in, in Falkirk, right? At, uh... No, it was in Stirling. Cactus, Cactus Jack? Cactus Jack in Stirling. Yes. Burrito wrapped in puffed pastry. Yeah. Stirling's not Falkirk. <laughs> By the way, to all American listeners, Stirling's not Falkirk. They're close, though. <laughs> we went to both. Actually, if I remember correctly, the food in Falkirk was quite good. That place... The place where we did the did, we did the trivia. I was behind the wall. But I don't think we ate there, did we? Yeah, we ate at behind the wall while we were playing trivia at behind the wall. Now, my favorite meal in Scotland, though, that would have been the the ramen in Glasgow. Um, Bar Soba on Mitchell Lane in yes. Glasgow. Yeah, it's very good. I think it's still there. It should be. I hope so. That was one of my regrets about leaving Scotland was I only ever ate there like three times. <laughs> I should have ate there far, far more often. Far, far. If only I had the chance to get through to Glasgow more frequently than I did. Yes, if if only. 26 miles away. <laughs> <sighs> How are you this week? Um, I'm good. You know, I was having some weird issues with my back, but overall it's been, it's been a busy old week and it's going to be a busy old weekend. 
Thank goodness Coronation Street accommodated us by being on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday this week so that... Yeah, we wrote to Coronation Street to say, look, we've got a really busy weekend this weekend. With, with homecoming. So can you maybe... Can you scrunch all the episodes <laughs> together at the start of the week? It would be really helpful. And they and they conceded. That was very nice of them. That was a complete pain in the tits for me, though. Was it? Doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, yeah. And not getting a break in between? Well, see, the way that I tend to do it this is i'm sure very boring so feel free to skip ahead <laughs> uh, i watch it on monday mm-hmm. i do my cory in under four minutes on monday and then i usually wait until tuesday or thursday to write up the notes for the previous episode so i mm-hmm. kind of spread it about a little bit but here i didn't get a chance to write up my notes on monday so on tuesday i had to write up the notes for Two episodes back to back, and that's an awful Whoa. lot of time spent writing notes on Coronation Street. An awful lot of time. So, yeah, I'm, I sympathise. I'm glad to get this out of the way. Right, and we've been doing this since May 2018. I think this is the first time we've recorded at four o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Yes. So, all bets are off here. All bets are off. Yes. I have no idea how this is going to go. <laughs> It will go well. <laughs> well we we are will see. Rock stars. Shall we preamble, Madea? Yes, please. Give us some of that condensed coding news. Another Corey resident will be trading the cobbles for the ice as Molly Gallagher joins Dancing on Ice. Wow! Woohoo! So that's. I hope. I hope. I hope she. She hems her skirts. <laughs> Right. Beforehand. I don't want her breaking an ankle. Yeah, this kind of came a, came a bit out of the blue, didn't it? Well, these things tend to, but right. I didn't think they were announcing they're dancing on ice at the moment. Yes, thank you for, for Holly. Yeah, Holly. FYI does on that. Yes, Holly Baleen. Yep. Like the whale. Strictly, this year has uh, a couple of Coronation Street uh, alumni. Yes. On it, and they, they usually manage to get one from the major soaps. Mm-hmm. On, it. and I don't think I would ever have guessed Molly Gallagher to be ice skating. I would imagine some of the younger cast would be more inclined to do these sorts of things because they're assumedly in better shape than the older cast. Yeah, do people go ice skating these days? See, that's my question. I don't know. I've never, I, I've never been good at ice skating, so I just don't do it. I've never been. I don't think. Really? I don't think so. Oh. I wasn't good at inline skating. Oh, yeah. I'm not good at that either. Regular so, roller skates with the four wheels I can do. I don't think I've done that too much. Really? Yeah. See, when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, that was the place to be was the roller rink. That's where all the cool kids hung out. That's, cool. that's where we all went cool on kids. a Saturday night. Right. Well, that's where those kids went on Saturday night. I'm sure there was other kids that went elsewhere on Saturday night and did other things to the skate it mm. and then afterwards we'd go you know walk through the cornfields and smoke pot i am looking forward though to seeing that outside of the coronation street bubble yes very much so because we don't see don't see very much of her other than in nina's roles these days so yes a little change of context i think will be will be pretty interesting Absolutely. best of luck to molly and that. have you seen any of the other contestants uh-uh okie no. dokie that's the only thing that Molly um, tagged us in. Holly. Holly. Holly about Molly. 
Yes. Holly O'Malley. If your name rhymes with a character or an <laughs> actor on Coronation Street, feel free to tweet us. <laughs> Corey stars have gone to Waterloo. It's only fair some Waterloo comes to Corey. Vanessa Hayer will be coming to the cobbles in a role that hopefully means we'll see Billy actually doing his job. <laughs> Dan and I have our fingers crossed. Yep. And finally... If you long to stroll down the street yourself, ITV offers tours of the set. For 90 minutes on the weekend, you can take a guided walk along Victoria Gardens, Rosamond Street, and Coronation Street. A special Horror Nation tour is set for this month. Oh. How exciting is that? That's featuring, the news aspect of the story, right? Yeah, featuring the villains of Coronation Street. Ooh, Michael Ooh. Myers. Ooh. <laughs> Tickets are £35 through the Get Your Guide website. That's getyourguide.co.uk You know, 35 quid's not bad. It really isn't. I was going to say that's about 50 bucks, but no, that's about 35 bucks. Yeah. A little joke about the the economy there. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Yeah, Yes, because the economy is a joking matter. Mm -hmm. And that's Corey News. Fantastic. (laughs) Our mailbag, quite a bit in the mailbag this week. Ooh. Remember last week we were talking about Will someone please, just for the love of God, tell us what level is Weather County supposedly playing at? Well, Mark Griffin wrote to us to give us his two cents worth. Huzzah! I've always had Weatherfield County, he says, as level with Stockport County, Oldham Athletic, Rochdale, or maybe Bolton before their new stadium was built. And always seen them as doing what Oldham did in the early 90s, gate crash in the top division, clinging on for dear life. The stadium used would be appropriate for my hypothesis. Incidentally, I grew up in Davy Hume and my dad played local football for Trafford, Macclesfield, Winton Albion, Flixton and Irlam and nothing about James Bailey suggests the life of a semi-professional slash professional footballer, not least as calves. Every defender in the league would know after one tackle that he'd be operating at about 30%. Second tackle, he goes off with a dead leg or a calf injury. Anyway. Hope that information helps. Not sure if it's all relevant, but I heard your call and felt I should answer. Thank you very much, Mark. And yes, I think thank that's you. kind of the level that I was imagining them to be round about right. English League One, League Two. And in those divisions, the average wage for a good top player in that league, according to 888 Sport, would be maybe 4,500 a week. And that's almost quarter of a million a year. At that level, it's quite it's quite shocking. Yeah, he should not be living with his parents. No, no. Although the whole reason why he and his brother live with their parents is because apparently their mum doesn't want them to live anywhere else. Until that becomes inconvenient to right. contract matters, which she, we'll get to, right? She has an issue with apron strings, apparently. Then we have from John Giovinacci. He just started listening last week and says, Wow, another Werner Herzog fan. I love his films. Have a box set including Fata Morgana Strodzek, the Enema, the Enigma of Casper Hauser, not the Enema of Casper Hauser. That would be a very different movie. Thank God. And Heart of Glass. Yes. He seems to be more a fan of Werner's fictitious films. Yeah, I'm a documentaries guy. The documentaries. Mm. So, yes. Love the Werner Herzog. And then on Twitter, Jennifer wrote, Never has an episode of Corey made me more excited to hear Corey podcast than last night's. And this was on Tuesday, I think she wrote this. Uh-huh. Just when you thought Jig Tig would be the highlight. 
in comes Space Cakes and the play. Please investigate the age differences between the play director, Wendy, and Ken. Well, we'll, we'll get to the, these storylines yes. in due course, but just, the, just for FYI. Let me just say, the age difference was not the thing that I found <laughs> shocking within that story. For information purposes, the play director is 47. And we don't know the age of, well, we don't know the age of the play director or Wendy, but their actors are 47 and 70, respectively. And Ken is uh, tipping the scales at 83, although Bill himself is 90. So we've got a bit of a spread there. Mm. But yeah, there are other things about that storyline that make the scales fall from your eyes. But we will get to that, I guess, in due course. And now we'll podcast for coffee. It's October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yes, it is. We've gone pink across our socials, apart from Insta, because I don't know how to work that. And like <laughs> last year, we're going to donate all our coffee money to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. We'll match your donations up to a couple of hundred bucks. And I think now my work will match any donation to any charity. And BCRF match themselves at the moment. So for every $5 coffee bought, potentially 40 bucks goes to Breast Cancer research which is pretty awesome you can join in on that by buying us a coffee on ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street and we'll be very grateful yes we will and now this a welcome 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 Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Cory Cory Hallelujah. Cory Cory Hallelujah. Cory Cory Hallelujah. Cory Cory Hallelujah. The cobbles go marching on. That's right. This was a Weddy Gazette headline when Corey was a goal-scoring machine for Weddy County, much to Nina's disgust. Oh, it was that Corey, not Corey as in Coronation Street. ITV Corey. Hmm. Forgot all about him. Yeah. We'll talk later. Aw. I was Gavin and you challenged me to a game of tiddlywinks to the death. <laughs> Stelly We're had, both still alive, though. Stelly had COVID and was as happy as a pig in shit about it. <laughs> yes, she was. The Roomba tried to break into the office during recording. <laughs> We'd finished Squid Games and I'd just moved on to Midnight Mass. What are you watching right now? Uh, What, in terms of movies or in terms of TV? To, to anything. Are you watching any shows right now? Apart from the dragon thing. No. And I'm just, I'm just not getting into the dragon thing. See, I'm getting more into the dragon thing than the elf thing. I just, I, I'm having a hard time with the elf thing. I watched the first episode of the elf thing and I haven't watched any more of it. I just can't find the, the enthusiasm for either. It's The elf thing is too sprawling and the dragon thing is too focused, mm -hmm. is, is my opinion. I just finished Wellington Paranormal and quite enjoyed that. There are too many people in the dragon thing whose names sound the same. Right, and they all look the same. And it's, I'm finding it impossible to keep up. Yeah. And plus, I'm kind of falling asleep as I'm watching it, which doesn't right, help. Right, because it's on late at night. Well, after, after your bedtime. Right. <laughs> oh, but yeah. What are you watching, did you say? 
Oh, I uh, I watched all four seasons of Wellington Paranormal this this week. Never heard of it. Yeah, it's New Zealand. Oh, I'm watching Taskmaster again. Let's oh, start it back up again. There you go. After a somewhat unsuccessful and only the second Scottish contestant in 14 seasons of that, by the way. Racist. <laughs> racist, racist, Taskmaster. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Ta- that's difficult to say, Taskmaster. Yes. After a somewhat unsuccessful poster campaign, Nina is surprised to learn that Chris, the journalist, is reluctant to print the story about ITV Corey being a murderer. Sabine manages to get Imran to bend to her will, which unfortunately seems to involve inviting Simon round for tea. James gets an interesting letter from the police and then goes on to give thought to his career after Weddy County. So last year he was already thinking about leaving. Yep. Sally gets encouraging news from the council about her parking proposal and finds an unusual ally who gets between Tim and his curry. Summer's stress about her personal statement overflows as she resorts to unethical means to impress. That has been going on for more than a year. And with Daniel unwillingly playing hard to get with Daisy, Jenny goes out of her way to cheer her up with a bloke who gets paid to plug sinkholes. Ah, Leo. We hardly knew ye. Zidane comes up with an idea to drum up business, but his lips are loose on the matter when he bumps into Debbie, so the the Mm beast will start up doing their curry night. Right. The homeless are fussy about curries. Kev doesn't have a photo of Abby and PC Racism has a good hard think about what he's done. Our moment of the week was Addy being a good friend to Summer and a boring moment of the week was Steve's sports-based trivia. And that was Coronation Street and the Talk of the Street this time last year. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our, again, the storylines landed in the way that I'm going to read it out. How kind of them to do this specifically for us. See what happens when you ask. <laughs> When you ask nicely, yep, the world is your oyster. All you have to do is ask. <clears throat> Our first storyline this evening, afternoon, afternoon, this afternoon yeah. is more of Nazir and Bailey super sleuths. Dum dum dum. On Monday, Stu is fretting like a hen in a hot girdle, worried that Eliza is going to be bored of her formerly homeless and convicted murderer grandfather. How jaded would young Eliza need to be, one wonders. What sights has she seen from her other grandparents to leave her in a comatose state while meeting homeless stew? Tell me about that time you got done for murder, granddad homeless stew. Yasmin calls him a fanny and promises to be there for moral support. Homeless stew thought she'd never ask. She was delightful. Yasmin? Yasmin, yes. All the way through this, she was delightful. Um, I liked a lot of Yasmin this week. Rather than being there for moral support, though, at Speed Dial, it's Yasmin who seems to be in the driver's seat, welcoming Bridget and Eliza to the restaurant, while Homeless Stew stands in the background looking awkward. Champion, he says. Mm-hmm. No, you're supposed to say hello. Yeah. But Eliza seems quite taken with her granddad, more so when Yasmin reminds Homeless Stew that he has a present for her. It was a gift that was intended for Bridget, a heart necklace, and Eliza is thrilled. Homeless Stew again is trying to... He's doing his damnedest to play this down because he says to Bridget, you know, I used to get you presents every year for your birthday and send them on to you, but I guess you just probably threw them out. I'm just thinking that there were, their necklaces seemed to be the the gift mm-hmm. to give right. on the street. Well, Coronation Street was sponsored by necklaces <laughs> this week. Again, you just write in and, and one ask. Would, and one would assume. Yeah. This is the best day ever, says Homeless Stew, and even Bridget looks on like she improves, but then she looks a little bit remorseful, like she's kind of biting on her lip a little bit. 
Meanwhile, Alia has been told to handle the legal stuff with Didi, and they meet up in uh, Nina's roles. No, and they meet up in Yasmin's to discuss. Lennox is a dead end. However, Didi has discovered that Charlie's purse had no homeless stew DNA on it. What? And she suggests getting it tested again. But it's going to cost them, and cost them big. Alia goes to tell Yasmin, calling this the only chance to clear homeless stew's name. So you have to you have to pay to get uh, things DNA tested. You can't just like, privately, yeah. Go to the police and say, "Hey, we noticed that there's an issue here with this investigation." Well, they're not going to open the investigation again. I think that's that's the problem. Yeah. Oh. So they're having to get it done privately. Oh. I'm sure this was all explained. Sure. But back at Speed Dial, the mood is spoiled when Lucy, the former Mrs. Homeless Stew, arrives, somehow figuring out where her daughter and granddaughter are. What are you doing talking to that scumbag, she demands. Bridget thinks after everything, it's about time that they let Homeless Stew back into their lives, which shocks Lucy to her core. Did Grandad tell you about the prison dinners, she says, and she drags Bridget and Eliza away. Alia gives chase, sensing something is up between Lucy and Bridget and accusing them of knowing something about the murder. They ignore her and rush away to the tram station with a confused Eliza in tow. Later, Homeless Stew gets a thank you text from Eliza. He's very taken by how polite she is. I think mm. we all were, right? He hates and she plays three instruments. So they could form a grandpa-granddaughter band. Only Eliza will have to write all the songs. Yeah, we can't let Homeless Stew write anything. No. No. Not since the last time it happened. No. So many people died. <laughs> he hates how Bridget and Eliza are getting caught in the crossfire here. Alia airs her suspicions that they know something that they're not saying about the case. But Homeless Stew poo-poo's it. They know nothing, he says. Or everything that they know came from the trial. Alia then meets up with Dee Dee and tells her about her suspicions, going further to think that Bridget is covering for her mum. Dee Dee reckons it's a good theory and that's a definite motive. They just need the DNA to prove it. And then bizarrely, Yasmin goes cap in hand to Stephen to beg him for a loan for the DNA test. But Stephen's skint, don't you know? Right, yes. But before he has to admit this, Homeless Shoe comes along, thanks Stephen for doing precisely nothing, and then tells Yasmin he wants to drop the appeal. He wants to focus on his family and stop causing them pain. Being proved innocent is no longer his top priority. Meanwhile, Lucy is dragging Bridget home and she tells him to stay away from Homeless Stew because she's not going to spend the rest of her life behind bars just because Bridget has a crisis of conscience and blabs to Daddy. Dum dum dum! So there we have it. Lucy killed Charlie. Lucy killed Charlie, presumably because of the affair. Right. And then covered it up and got her daughter to agree to it? Well, see, we... Can't Again, the, the timeline of this hasn't really been clear because I think at the time Bridget would probably have been at most in her early teens. <laughs> yeah, but it does seem like she's aware that her mom did something and her dad got the blame and she was okay with it until now. Yeah, and if if she wasn't aware of it beforehand, she's aware of it now. Yeah. Because why else would Lucy be going to prison? Right. Unless she didn't kill Charlie, but just helped to cover up. See, I think this Lennox thing is... I don't think that's entirely dead yet. No. Just because he's got dementia doesn't mean to say that he's not a suspect. And, right. And that's kind of how they seem to be dealing with it, that he has dementia, so therefore it can't have been Lennox. Right. Or they can't get any more information out of him. Right. 
But yeah, Lucy has had has had something to do with it. Definitely. Maybe maybe Mrs. Lennox is the key. Maybe Mrs. Lennox knows something. Yeah. It just seemed a very obvious way to release this information. Like nobody discovered this. No. This isn't uh anything that any character has learned. We just happen to have the point of view of these two characters for the first time. Right. Like they've presumably had conversations about this multiple times that we right, haven't been yes. privy to, but now we're privy to it, and that right. just seems like a very cheap way of getting this information out there. Yeah, but again, we don't know for sure exactly why she would be going to jail. She could have possibly been involved, but not been the one to pull the trigger. Or however, how did Charlie die again? Was she strangled? Or bludgeoned, I think, wasn't she? Or, oh, or strangled, or set on fire. <laughs> I don't think she was shot. I guess I just assumed that everybody gets shot because yeah. that's where I live. That's right. Shotsville, USA. Shotsville, USA. On Tuesday, homeless Stu is down in the dumps but reflective, giving Lucy and Bridget the benefit of the doubt. At the end of the day, he's a convicted murderer after all and he was having an affair. Alia wants to press the point of her suspicions of their guilt but Stu won't hear it. He needs to build bridges with his family and he wants the investigations to stop. And reluctantly, Alia agrees. On the street, though... Dev isn't off a mood to let this go and when Stu approaches him to argue his point, Dev kind of runs away and tells him to stay clear and keep your distance. Right. Stay away from me, Stuart. Murderer. Stuart. Murderer. Is Dev getting involved with this just because Dev was in that day? Because it seemed like a... Just like Bernie last week. Mm -hmm. Although the two of them were... No, who was it? Was it Tim? Who was it that was uh, shocked to find that Holmes Stu was a murderer and was shouting him at Shouting up in the street a few weeks ago. I don't know. It was Dev and somebody. At Tim, I believe. Was it Tim? Yeah. And they were like, stay away from our daughters. Oh, yeah, it was. So it wasn't Bernie. Or maybe it was. I think oh, I Bernie was involved in yelling too. Lots of people have yelled at homeless too, forgetting that he has served his time yeah. and is reformed from a thing he didn't actually do. That says Bailey. Ed is worried about the amount of time and effort Didi is putting into helping a murderer. Didi, though, is sure that the evidence points to Homeless Stew's innocence and that he deserves justice, just like Charlie's family do. She explains her doubts, and this seems to satisfy Ed, but he tells her to call Canny. Just you be careful out there. And later, Didi meets Alia Nina Rolls. She's secured funding from a charity to pay for Stu's DNA. This is oh. your innocence thing that you're yes. talking about. This stops Alia from pulling the plug on this and she tells Didi to go through her from now on as it's getting all too much for Homeless Stu to deal with. He still wants to do this? Asks Didi. Sure, says Alia, <laughs> lightheartedly. Then Alia meets Homeless Stu in the community garden and confirms that she's told Didi to drop the case. Just don't ask her any questions about it. Promise? She suggests apologising to Lucy for yesterday, but Stu tells her just to let it go in case she makes matters worse. And then Stu gets a call from Yasmin, and he rushes to Speed Dial to find that Eliza has run away from home uh -oh. and has run to Speed Dial yes. because Lucy was a bitch and banned her from seeing Homeless Grandad. She made it all the way over there by herself. Well, she's been reading the, the Sam playbook on, right. on that little yes, trick. Yes, when are they going to meet? Because that would be a delightful pairing. Sam about and the same age, you think? Yeah, eating pakora. Playing chess. Stu is worried that he'll get the blame for this and Lucy will go rage. He quickly gets Eliza to call her mum and then he tells Bridget what happened and they arrange to pick Eliza up at home. And on the way there, Dev is ready to hurl more abuse from the other side of the street 
until Ed turns up and tells Dev to go fuck himself and leave homeless Stu alone. The man is innocent. Right. So at home, while they wait, Eliza asks what homeless granddad did to get put away for such a long time. But before he can explain, Bridget and Lucy, because Lucy's has to be there for some reason, right? Yeah, I don't understand why Lucy's there. <laughs> no, I don't know why Bridget would tell Lucy. But no. anyway, they're about to leave until Alia asks them to stay for tea, which they all agree to do once Homeless Stu explains that the investigation has been dropped. And Alia is quick to uh, pick up on this, or she picks up on it a little bit later. Right. Alia takes the coats through to the summer room and she's going through Lucy's bag when Zidane comes in demanding to know what's going on. Alia explains that she's looking for DNA, so Z threatens to make a scene... How do you reckon he's going to make a scene, Helen? Is he going to go and like wave his arms in the air and go, woohoo, well, woo, it's a scene? I'm, I'm not sure. Does he have to Does he have to strip to do this? No, I hope not. It's his family. You'd hope not, right? Right. And there's a child there, so he needs to keep his clothes on. Right. Yeah. And so no calls to Tim. No. To outsource the, the scene creation. He's probably going to, you know, start shouting and screaming and making noise so that people will see Alia digging through Lucy's bag. Any smearing of feces on the wall at all? No. No, not a dirty protest? No. No, okay. No. They might they might write something in that lipstick on the wall. Right. Something profane? He'll draw a penis on the wall. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I wanted from you. <laughs> Just your penis. I don't have a penis. He agrees that she's shifty as fuck, but they promised homeless Stu they were going to let this go. So reluctantly, Alia has to... Let it go. Back away from the bag. Let it go. So back in the room, uh, Stu is apologising for not letting this go before, and this boils Alia's piss, who accuses Lucy of still thinking that Stu is guilty and not understanding why she's happy to have Eliza around him if that's what she thinks. And Stu backs at her to let it go. And this is a good point because... Lucy refuses to let homeless Stew socialise right. with Bridget and Eliza if he's continuing an, an investigation right. to prove that he's innocent. Right. But if he admits that he's guilty, that then, means, it's, then it's okay. Right. It seems like a strange it is. hill to die on, it's right? very strange. Lucy decides it's time to go and she and Bridget leave with Eliza. Lucy promising to be in touch. Homeless Stew doesn't think she'll be in touch. Alia apologises as Stew runs up the stairs like Max. And she promises Zidane that she's going to let it go now. But yes. instead of doing that, she meets up with Didi under That's the viaduct right. and hands over a glass that Lucy drank from. Didi explains about it's evidence gained illegally, but Alia suggests getting it tested privately to get some answers and then worry about the legality of it. Right. And Didi decides to go along with this. On Wednesday at Speed Al, Zidane and Alia are discussing the homeless stew situation and how it's affecting Yasmin and the business. Alia gets a text from Didi requesting a meet-up which she covers by saying it was Matt. So Alia and Didi meet up in Nina's roles and Didi needs Alia to sign some paperwork for the charity funds for the DNA, but wouldn't you know what? She's lost the paperwork because she's forgetful and clumsy. And her Re- pen doesn't work. Remember? Alia asks her to give her a call when she finds them and she'll come to Didi. Just tell me and I'll meet you wherever. And we also learn at this point that Didi has no plans to return to LA, although she hasn't told anybody yet. No. Why do you think she doesn't want to go back to LA? LA's delightful. It's not delightful. It's kind, it's kind of a horrible place, isn't I'm, it? I'm being sarcastic. Are you? Yes. Better than Weatherfield. I mean, LA is shit. It'll be sunny. Mm-hmm. Traffic's horrible. The food's pretty good. 
At least she'd be around people who know how to pronounce pico de gallo. Sure. I'm, th- I'm thinking maybe a breakup. Maybe she had a bad relationship breakup or maybe something with her job. Maybe she got fired because her pens kept running out of ink. And she kept losing paperwork. I mean, I can see why she would get fired. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe she just misses her family. Do you think she's going to hook up with Zidane? I was thinking she's more likely to hook up with Alia. As friends, but neither one of them are bisexual Well, we don't know about Didi, do we? We know nothing about Didi, other than that she's forgetful and clumsy. There's nothing that implies that she would be queer to me. Besides, they already have a gay kid. They can't have two gay kids. That's not how science works. Who knows? (laughs) Who knows? I think I think she's going to hook up with Zidane. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think I'm maybe swayed a little bit by Velma being confirmed as lesbian this week. Which is bi-erasure. Like, Velma is a bisexual. And in the very beginning, she was asexual. But now she's bisexual. And now these straight white dudes are like, nope, she's a lesbian now. Shut up. She's a lesbian. Bisexual as, people exist. As we discovered in uh, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated. Right, with, with hot, with hot dog, dog water. water right? Yeah, but they're acting like this new one. Oh, this is where she's really gay. And it's like, come on, WB. Come on. You're just, you're just desperately trying to find money because you suck and canceled Batgirl. You think that was their motivation? Yes. And the other Scooby-Doo, because there was supposed to be a a new Scoop movie, and it was practically done. And then they scrapped it, I guess, for this thing where Velma is going to be gay. But Velma's always been gay. She just hasn't been a lesbian. She's bisexual. She shacks up with dudes, too, like the guy from Supernatural. (sighs) Anyway, with with Velma being lesbian, though, I've kind of... You want everybody, I, you want every woman with short hair to be a lesbian? I, I kind of saw that. I've, I've been seeing the the Nazir Bailey partnership here has been a little bit Scooby Doo, so maybe that's why. But yeah, I think I think the overtures that she was not really overtures, but the comments that she was making with Zidane. It was a strange conversation that she has with Zidane and and in her roles where he. Have we got to that bit yet? Not yet. Not yet. Well, let's wait until we get to that. Bit okay. Then. All right. Later, because she's forgetful, she drops into speed dial with the paperwork and despite Alia's best attempts, Dan eventually twigs that no one has told Didi that Stu wants to drop the case and Didi is furious about this, thinking that Alia and her could be friends and she storms off, suggesting that maybe if Alia toned down all the line, maybe the Stu situation would be improved and the charity can now put its money to better use. Nalia's crushed by this and as she explains to Zidane that proving homeless Stu's innocence was so important, not just for him, but for Yasmin and the business, that now that we're not going to pursue this, none of this gets fixed. So Zidane goes to find Didi in Nina's roles and appeals to her judgement by saying that homeless Stu is innocent, which means there's a murderer on the loose. On the loose! Alia has only been trying to do the right thing here and suggests maybe getting the glass tested for DNA is still worthwhile. And then he says, oh, but I thought you were some hotshot flyer, high-flying lawyer here, but maybe not. Which seemed a very strange tangent to take because it felt like it was going fairly decently and Didi hadn't yes or no'd it. Right. But then when he kind of attacked her a little bit, she she didn't react all that greatly, but then then did take his point. Mm Mm-hmm. 
because then she goes to see uh, Alia at Speedal and Alia apologises and Didi explains that Zidane has successfully talked around and she agrees to send the glass off to be tested saying that she'll do it for a mate but she has to get homeless stew on board before they can do anything with it mm-hmm. which is feels like we've been <clears throat> dancing around the same thing for most of the week which was homeless stew wants to drop this because he wants to focus on the family right. Alia wants to get it all tested and done mm-hmm. and, and find out what's been going on right. or find out if indeed Lucy is a suspect in mm-hmm. this or not and for two or three of these episodes we were not really moving the needle forward. much further forward no. we're going in circles again because mm-hmm. this isn't the first time that <coughs> Homeless 2 has said oh never mind well you were saying it continually this week right I was like, how many times does it have to say, let's just drop this for right. people to, to drop it? Although there, there does seem to be a part of him, you know, every time Dev or Bernie or somebody else yells at him across the street, telling him he's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Like, thanks. Thanks for letting me know why I was in prison for 37 years. But... 27. Meh. Give or take a few. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, another third. <laughs> But, you know, it, it seems like that really irritates him. And I think if I think if Alia brought up the point, the points that she brings up with Zidane to Homeless Stew, I think it might turn him. The fact that there's still a murderer out there that could be hurting people. And also because, you know, the, this is hurting Yasmin and right. the business. Right. And those should be just as important as his family. Because again, we're we're assuming that if a business has a murderer working for it, nobody's going to eat there. Right, which is blatantly just not true. Right, because nobody cares, especially although, if somebody has served their time. Although apparently, lots of people on the street care. It's it's manufactured. So this all happens when when Billy tells tells homeless Stu that the street is generally good-hearted and right. and stuff and the, the thing about the, the timing of some of these uh these attacks on homeless stew particularly from dev that happened on monday it's like it's like no one's looking at the episode as a whole because right. throughout that episode dev is in a really really good mood right yeah so somebody in a really really good mood probably isn't going to right shout abuse at somebody right they're just right even if you don't like homeless stew you're just gonna let them go right you're yeah. not gonna get involved like every time potentially in a fight especially if you especially if you think the guy murdered somebody you would not want to irritate them constantly right because then maybe he would murder you yeah when we jump from one story to the next with the same character it's just funny when they're when their clothes there's continuity with, right but there's no continuity about their mood their mood or their behavior or what else is going on in, in, in their, their lives. lives it's just right i am mad and a bit of an asshole in right. this storyline but i'm absolutely thrilled to bits in the other storyline right i just really happen to be the one on set today i'm growing to like Didi a bit more here i just wish there was more to her than well she just this is like what her second week her give second her time week, just the clumsiness and the forgetfulness forgetfulness and losing things seems to be the trait that they're pushing down our throats a little right, bit. Right, yeah. It's a bit tell, don't show. Yeah. It's, and it's just like Aggie we are her cooking. Fault. It's yeah. Aggie we are cooking. Right. It's not her fault though. Mm. It is kind of irritating that it seems like the Baileys are the only people that this is an issue with of having this one distinct bit 
of their personality that's kind of rammed down our throat all the time. Mm-hmm. But, mean, here, but here we go. We've introduced Dee Dee, and immediately she's been involved in a couple of storylines. Right. And more uh, importantly, a storyline that doesn't feature other Baileys. Right. And that's nice. That is nice. Yeah. It's kind of what they should have been doing with other members of that family right, right from the off. Absolutely. And it, and it does help other members have those kinds of stories because if it weren't for Dee Dee, then, then Ed wouldn't be speaking to Dev right. in such a way. Let's move on to another Bailey storyline. The overnight coach to that London. On Monday. Ha 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 ha. Huh. Coach. Yeah, see what I did there? Because coach <laughs> means two things. Right. It actually means like, more than More two than things, two but, things in, but, in, but in this context... Yeah, in this pun, it's two yes, things. Yes, it's two things. Ronnie meets up with James on the street. He has a mate in that London looking for a coach to teach soccer ball to disadvantaged kids. James. Convenient! Yep. You never mentioned this mate before, Ronnie. All right then. Convenient. James is excited as that's just five minutes from Danny. Ronnie hands over the number and tells James to give him a call, but put a little bit more effort into it than you did with, with Debbie at, at yeah, the Bistro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? And James must take this advice because the next time we see him, James has been given the job. Woohoo! And he starts tomorrow. What? And he leaves for that London tonight. Yay! <laughs> I'm surprised they even bothered giving them lines. I mean, do we have to... We're going to rush this as much as we possibly can, right? The Bailey family convene in the bistro and James reveals to them that he's off to that London in, 50, in 15 minutes. I'll see you later. Aggie has to conceal that her heart is breaking and she rushes off. <clears throat> it's weird that you're leaving just when I arrive, says Dee Dee. Yes, says the audience, isn't it? <laughs> so Ed goes to Aggie and they sit in the community garden and he tells her that Danny will look after her wee boy and make sure that his heart is fine in every imaginable way and also his Bobby. Yes. Coaching has always been James's dream since last Friday. Right. So that's it. James says his farewells to the Baileys with Kev, Tyrone, Lily, Dev and Chesney getting their full kit on to say goodbye and then gets in his cab and off he fucks oh uh, well says everyone we have Dee Dee now right yes oh and Lily Lily signs her jersey and gives mm. it to him as a gift mm-hmm. thanks Lily that's getting thrown out <laughs> immediately isn't it he's <laughs> like I'm gonna keep this because I'll be a duster it'll work as a duster in 20 years it's gonna be worth a lot of money while you're playing for England yeah, in 20 years it'll be worth some money, but right now I need something to mop up that ketchup and <laughs> and this jersey is going to do just that. <sighs> I guess I guess this leaves the door open for him to eventually come back, maybe with a different face in the future. I'm glad that he's going to London, where that Danny London. is. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, it's convenient how sense. that's worked out, isn't it? Right. It's kind of what we figured, though, that he'd leave for London. That London, yeah. Yes, that London. There we go. I was kind of hoping we were going to get uh, I'm off to London and Aggie would go, London? London? And she nearly did. Yeah, she comes very, very close. But it wasn't wasn't enough. I couldn't use it. I just don't understand the family dynamics in that house. How how very devastated she is that her child is moving two hours away. Mm -hmm. When Dee Dee was being in... Los, Los Angeles, Angeles, like thousands of miles away. Right. Is it just James that she has this affinity with? 
think she's kind of like this with Michael too, because remember she was overly protective with Michael about Grace. Of course, Grace is crazy, so it makes sense. But still, James is the the younger of the He's clan. He's the baby. Right. Yeah. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe. Let's let's make a note to never have a character who's a football player ever again. Yeah, it just doesn't it work. It just stifles our opportunity and it's just boring. The people who watch Coronation Street, I think there is a in the Venn diagram of people who watch Coronation Street and people who like soccer ball, there is a crossover. But I think predominantly predominantly they're probably separate populations. I mean, I like soccer ball. You do. I just don't like stories about it because stories about it as ted lasso proves is really really boring and dull you like welcome to wrexham that's a documentary though still a story about soccer a documentary though and coronation street is many a thing but and it also doesn't have ryan reynolds or jason sudeikis i thought it was interesting that maybe maybe lily's going to be in this a little bit more given that she was she got a few more scenes this time where she wasn't right. potentially choking to death. Right. Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> she has that kind of plat confidence, I guess, yeah, she does. of she's going to basically steamroll everyone else that's on that. Right. That gets in her way and they're under tens. Right. <laughs> football team, which was kind of she amusing. She scored a hat trick. Yeah. Moving on to our next storyline this afternoon is Jig Tig is a thing. On Monday. <laughs> Jenny is wallowing and has been watching Remains of the Day to cheer herself up. That was hilarious. And eating lots and lots of biscuits. <laughs> Some with butter on them? Yeah. What is that all about? She's down in the dumps. <laughs> Rita isn't overly sympathetic and tells her to get her ash into gear and get out front and take care of that fucking quiz tonight. Rita loves that fucking quiz. The she f- wasn't at the quiz. No. She's about the only person that wasn't. The Remains of the Day line I, I loved... Jenny just summon it up. We need Jenny giving reviews of critically acclaimed movies more <laughs> whilst feeling sorry for herself because yes. I thought that worked really well. Yay. They should get her on the Sofa Cinema Club. They should get someone with a vagina on the Sofa Cinema Club. They really, they really need to get someone with a vagina on that show. You are correct. Or somebody who identifies as someone with a vagina. Glenda arrives all dolled up to take care of the quiz and is crushed, like Rana, when Daisy tells her that Jenny will be doing the hosting thanks to the pep talk that she got from Rita. Aww. Oh, pig's tits, says Glenda, because she's got her Right, she's fancy, all jazzed up. Fancy, uh, glittery, glamoury jacket. jacket on. Daisy gives her mopping duties instead. So Glenda is mopping the floor around the bar when Daisy announces the hostess with the mostess. And out comes a vibrant Jenny who immediately goes arse over tit on the wet floor, putting her ankle out. Daisy helps her to the door as Glenda shouts that the show must go on. And she puts on her fancy game show host jacket again and grabs a mic. Question one, how fucking chuffed am I? She asks for a drink with pineapple. Jenny's been taken to the hospital. Yay! <laughs> and she's been given an x-ray and there's nothing broken, so she's been given the all clear to go home. And yeah, it is severely sprained though, so she has to stay off of it. Right. 
Daisy raises her spirits by telling her that Gemma has texted to say that Brian is hating Glenda's new rules for the pub quiz, so at least her bar is being unsuccessful, and this pleases Jenny. But when they get back to the Rovers, it's absolutely jumping. It seems Brian was the only one complaining, and after he won the show tunes karaoke round, he's now fully on board. Glenda has been a roaring success. The place is fit to burst, and now she's got Mary and Dev doing Irish jig tig for points in the final showdown. And the whole quiz thing was absolutely wonderful. Yes, it was. I was a little anxious seeing so many people in the rovers. It made me a little itchy, but, but it was good to but see But it was it. also nice to see, you know, everybody pretending that COVID is no longer a thing. So many people started around the bar. There's even Stephen there. Yeah. Because we'll be needing Stephen later. Yes. When Yasmin or, asks for money. Right. But you've got Tyrone, who's looking like a hyped up animal applauding as the <laughs> as the quiz is going on and even uh, Kev seemed to be enjoying himself so it must have been a, a pretty good night what was their team name again male pale, pale and fail <laughs> stale stale that was it. yes Kev is a stale one mm-hmm. it's almost like they know that he needs a shave and a good <laughs> fucking wash isn't it and I love Chesney that Chesney is, is pale. pale right and Tyrone is just male. That is his personality. Male. Nothing else. That's it. Anything else that rhymes with ale at all, Tyrone? Nope. Nope. Just male. Just male. <laughs> oh, well. No, that uh, Irish jig tig thing. <laughs> Mary's giving it big licks. She is. She, she's seen River Dance. Yes, she has. She knows how to do it. She's got her arms down by her side as she's doing a little jumpy about thing i wouldn't be surprised if she hasn't dated michael flatterly now can we talk about dev's irish jig because it it wasn't very irish well no it was mostly indian i would have said which is fine right which is fine it's just not a jig no but he has given he's doing a little very a very hands in the air kind of i'm waving him like you just don't care dance as he as he moves across the floor i was a little confused over what the rules to jig tig are, though. Yeah. We don't... Our, our pub quizzes aren't nearly quite so athletic. I've never been to a pub quiz that's anything like that. No. This is something from the boats, I can yes. imagine. This is a, a cruise activity. Right. I think. And, yeah. And Glenda, <clears throat> bless her heart, able to turn us round on short order because it doesn't really require any any prep. You just decide no. that now it's karaoke for show tunes and now right. it's, it's jig tig. Right. But it was a, it was a great part of the, part of the week. That absolutely, really enjoyed it. Yes, we did. <clears throat> Through the back, Jenny is stuffing her face full of crisps and confides in Daisy that she suspects that Glenda orchestrated the accident right, deliberately. Yes. She mopped the floor on purpose. Well, she was told to mop the floor round about the bar by right. Daisy. She was also told to wash the mirrors or something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know I don't if, think if she I prefer. Did it on purpose. No, I don't think so either. Although Tyrone did tell her he put a cone down to right, yeah, to one of the slippery floor, and but I don't think she had time to do that. And she seemed to tell Tyrone to go fuck himself for yeah. even suggesting it, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't think it was deliberate. But I would much prefer Jenny and Glenda to get along, be getting on. But I guess that doesn't that doesn't give an awful lot of drama, and you probably don't want people to to get along. Straight away because right. this is free drama. You've got right. a new character who 
you don't know if they're going to rub somebody up the wrong way. So right. let's get some free drama out of it before right. everyone gets on. Yes. But I think Glenda's getting set up for being a future landlady of the, of the Rovers at this rate. She'll have to kill Daisy first. Mm. Well, maybe. We have Jenny now being laid out and through the back and driving Daisy crazy. and With her wee bell. And some scenes that I didn't bother noting down later on, but... Right, because they were still. they were funny, but they didn't really move the, anything yeah, forward, anything, right. which is fine. Yeah. Our next story this afternoon is more of Bernie at the double. Woo! On Monday at home, Dev is trying to take care of Addy, but Addy is more interested that his dad goes to thank Bernie for having her back, his back, and then to rekindle the romance. Dev wah, thinks, wah, wee wah. Dev thinks it's too late, but Addy tells him not to give up. Relationships require work, says Addy to his dad. Yes. Then Mary comes in and smothers Addy with hugs and kisses. Her little prince. That was quite lovely as well. Yes, and then he's like, go easy. I was shot. Right. <laughs> no bear hugs. No. No no slaps in the chest from Uncle Ronnie to, to James multiple times. No. So Dev goes to see Bernie, who is bleaching her tash and her big toes. Unperturbed, Dev produces a bunch of flowers, apologises telling her that he hopes that they can pick up where they left off. Uh-huh. Bernie is won over by the cheap blooms from his own shop and <laughs> they probably get their hole again. After, Gemma comes in and is thrilled to hear that her mum and Dev are dating again and as she glances at some final notice envelopes on her table, she asks if Bernie is going to be getting her old job back. Dev doesn't think it's right to have his significant other cleaning for him, which is... I'm surprised that Dev even considered that, but it's a fair point. Right, yeah. Bernie insists that she has a new job lined up anyway. So later, during the quiz, Bernie gives Fern a call asking if she has any more traffic seminars to go on or out like that. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Have have you seen these these articles of people who are afraid that Fern isn't real? That she's still (laughs) make-believe? Even though we've seen her and Bernie did go to traffic school for her. And was wearing other clothes. I lo- that, I love this idea though. That that this you is know. Fight Club. <laughs> oh, spoiler for Fight Club! This is Fight Club. <laughs> yes. I, I, that Bernie is making all of this up, which doesn't make sense because is she making it all up for herself? Because nobody else knows about this, and she did get money for it. She did wear clothes that weren't her own. So, she's aware that she's making it up, or she's mentally ill? I think the second part. I think I'd prefer it to be mentally ill. I think that's an interesting story. But, yeah, it doesn't doesn't fly. It doesn't make sense in this context. But that would be an interesting little twist if it it had been handled differently from the start, then, and it could be a possibility. Hmm. Because nobody else has seen Fern. No. So the, the the scenes have just been Fern and Bernie. Right. We've seen Is it weird though. that it's Fernie and Bernie? Is that, is that weird? Fern and Bern? Hmm. It's like Claude and Odd. Yeah, they were in other scenes with other people, though. And, I mean, it's it's clearly n- nonsense, but... Right, yeah. I, I, I kind of almost wish that it was a thing. Hmm. Well, maybe you should write it then. Well, and, and, and like send I said, it to I think, them. I think 
Chuck Palahniuk has already has already written that. Right, but not for... Again, spoiler for Fight Club. Not for Coronation Street, though. No. And as far as you're concerned, Coronation Street has stolen enough of my writing. (laughs) Which they haven't. They lifted that sinkhole from you! (laughs) No, I would would like that if that was a thing. I don't think it is. But I do think it's nice that Bernie and Dave are... Also, I don't want them to lift it from you. I want you to write it and send it to them. I do think, and them to give you money. I do think that it's uh, it's nice that Dave and Bernie are back together. Back together. I think they they work quite well. I do too. What do you think about the whole Tash thing? What do you mean? It felt like it was just a cheap gag. Well, yeah, it was. But this is, these are comedic characters, so it's fine. And he's okay with it. He's like talk. He's not put off by it. And I like that. No, he thought it was the ice cream or something, didn't he? Right. Yeah. But even when she points out that it's not. No, she says it's uh, Tash. It's, I'm bleaching my Tash. Right. And he says, you don't have a Tash. Like, and she goes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> it was her toes that, that made me chuckle the Right, because she's named them. <laughs> oh, God, Bernie's just such fun. She is. But, I'm glad they figured her out. Right. But then we have Gemma looking at final notices and again seeming to think that Bernie's responsible for for finding the the shortfall in their, right. and their also, household economy, and also yay poverty porn again. Woo-hoo. How many jobs have they got in that house? Too many combined. Too many, especially for the amount of who's who's watching those kids. Where are they? Where are those children? They'll come down two at a time. Remember, we <laughs> saw Ivor and and Carfilly. I think it was last week. Cleo. 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 You'd think you'd think a nation that can pronounce Welsh names be able to pronounce Mexican names. Yeah, because Welsh and Mexican are famously similar. Welsh is much more difficult. It's more is my point. It's more that they can say Welsh names, but they can't say loch. That's true. Nobody can say loch. It's a loch. It's not a loch. It's not a loch. It's a loch. It's a what? It's a loch. <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on then to a. A storyline that wasn't just Monday. It was more of Tim's Bobby. <sighs> on Tuesday, James has been gone for 12 hours and Aggie wants to call him, but Dee Dee is working on another storyline. Michael is late for work and Ed needs to be on the site. And nobody knows where Grace is, or Glory is. Fine, I'll call the prick myself, says Aggie, lightheartedly. Yes. Later, she bumps into Tim, who suddenly remembers it's his wedding anniversary tomorrow. It's my wedding anniversary tomorrow. What? He's about to buy a present from Dev's when yeah. Aggie suggests maybe going a bit further afield and upmarket and she offers to join him in town to get some perfume or something. Right. So gift bought the return after having a lovely day together. Yes. Tim goes off quite happy as Ed comes out the house and asks where Aggie's been and for some reason she lies and says that she was having lunch with a friend. Why oh. is she not saying... I don't know. She can't say Tim now no. because it's far too random and right. out of the blue the, the time to say that she she and Tim had become friends was weeks ago was yes. when he was probably and still in hospital I don't understand it because Ed does not seem like the type of person who would get like overly jealous and freak out because she's friends with a dude no it makes me think that there's there's a part of Aggie who wants to have a relationship with Tim and that's why she's lying Tim, I think, has far more reason to be secretive about this because Sally 
would understandably be miffed, to say the least, that Tim was speaking to Aggie when he wasn't speaking to her about the whole his Bobby thing. Right. So he has reason to, to if not lie about it, then to brush over it and, and imagine that that's not a thing. But right. But, but it seems to be Aggie who's making the most of yeah. of that at the moment with, with Ed and other members of her family. What's up with that? What is indeed up with that? On Wednesday, it's Sally and Tim's anniversary. Tim has the day off and tells Sally that he's going to doss around the house and then go for a pint. Sally is so disgusted thinking that Tim has forgotten her special day. She tears up his card and storms out. And Tim chases after her, but his penis is exposed. So when he <laughs> runs out the door, Mary and Fizz can tell there's going to be six more weeks of winter. <laughs> <clears throat> and later on... There's an awful lot of chat about, about the, the girth and length of Tim's right, penis. Yes, that, that Tim is not as well endowed as everyone expects him to be. I don't know if I expect him to be. Because Sally is so very satisfied. And because sometimes they leave their windows open. <laughs> the smell gets out. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. <sighs> yeah, there was, lots of, there was lots of gags about that. About Tim's penis. No pun penis. intended. And um, was it Fizz that said, well, give him the benefit of the doubt. It was quite chilly. Right. What? What? The water was cold! <laughs> so anyway, Tim catches up with Sally later and she is still furious. He explains that he has a present but she thinks that he bought it from Dev's this morning. He insists that he got it the other day and he shows her a gorgeous necklace. Sally's eyes pop out of her head. All is forgiven and the hug and this is seen by Aggie. Yeah, there's two circles kind of attached two hearts, to one another. wasn't it? Two circles. I thought it was two the hearts. heart necklace was Eliza's. That was a heart. They oh, wouldn't have yeah. two heart necklaces. I thought they were sponsored by heart necklaces, though. No? No, oh, just, just necklaces. Just, necklaces, just necklaces. I think it's these standards that are sponsored by <laughs> are, are, are you wearing a necklace? No. No. Are you wearing a necklace? Yes. A little turtle one. Is there any hearts in it? No, just a turtle. So is that a Coronation Street turtle necklace? No. Right. It's just a necklace. I think we've mined all the good stuff we're going to get out of that. Out of necklaces? Yes. Yes. Aggie and Tim meet later in the community garden. Tim doesn't know what he would have done without her friendship and has gotten her a thank you present, which is yet another necklace. The third necklace of the week. <laughs> what was your necklace of the week? <laughs> necklace of the week. I and think... which was your boring necklace of the week? Boring necklace of the week. <laughs> I think out of all of them, I think Aggie's is the nicest because it's got colour. It's the bearded necklace and everything. And I think it, it suits her quite well. Tim did well in choosing that particular necklace. I thought I thought the one he gave to Sally was kind of boring. The two circles encircled together. It was Sally, though. Yeah, she loved it. It was a Sally it. necklace. The one that you got, Aggie, I think goes well with her uh, wardrobe and her complexion. Right, and that her was, personality. Mm -hmm. It was very nice. It was, yes. Well done, Tim. So that is our... Necklace of the week. Necklace of the week. <clears throat> Who knew? I thought we'd got as much as we were going to get out of the necklace, and then necklace of the week happened. Who knew? I didn't. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Who knew we could make necklaces funny? Well, we're laughing. All right. <laughs> you. St 
I'd like to laugh at your podcast. <laughs> I would laugh at your podcast. And I would like and subscribe and I would give it a five-star review as well. Right. And we'd buy you coffee through ko-fi.com. Whether I liked it or not, I'd give and it a five-star review. We'd buy your merch and the clicky-clicky. Foggle.co.uk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. We'd buy your merch. That's, yes. our, that's our motto. <laughs> Listen to Cory Podcast. We'd, we'd buy, buy your merch. <laughs> oh, why is this funny? It's not. Let's move on then to... No, we're still in the middle of this. We're still in the middle of this! <laughs> Tim has given Aggie a necklace. You might remember that. Yes. Tim gave Aggie, Aggie... It was our necklace of the week. <laughs> That's right. And maybe she'd been eyeing it up when they were shopping the other day. Maybe. It's nothing compared to the support that she's given him, he says. And Aggie is made up. Right. At home, Ed and Dee Dee are hunting for the remote for the TV, which Dee Dee has lost because oh, she's clumsy and she's forgetful and she's and she loses and stuff. She loses things. Dee Dee notices Aggie's necklace and compliments her on it. This was uh, Dee Dee's necklace of the week as well. <laughs> this old thing says Aggie, and she covers it up and says this old thing. Right. Back at number four, Tim gets home to find that Sally thinks it's Christmas and has <laughs> decked, decked out the house with candles and fairy lights and uh, little letter blocks that spell love and stuff like right, that. Right, yeah, and, and fake trees. It's it's like a <laughs> and elves. It's like a winter wonderland wedding. Mm-hmm. She's planned a three course Italian meal. That's how you know it's a Sally Christmas. Right. His gift was so thoughtful and she loves him very much and they hug and Tim tells her that he loves her too. And this is why any any affair I think is, right. is so unbelievable because right. Tim loves Sally. Tim loves Sally. <clears throat> And Aggie, I think, loves Ed. Yeah. She she digs at him a bit. But right. I don't but think I that think... means that they don't love each other. Right. Yeah. I think that's just their personalities. Right. Because she has a funny line when she says, I know what you do all day. You just sit on your arse. And mm-hmm. that was kind of funny because clearly it doesn't. But no. Still. It's just a joke. Right. So, yeah. And they give us these scenes with Tim and Sally all the time. Right. Where he sounds genuine. He doesn't yeah. sound like he's he's um he's leading her on or no. or leading himself on. No. I think he genuinely does love her. So the idea of Tim having an affair with Aggie is weird. Preposterous. Yeah. But they seem hell bent on making this happen. And it almost feels like now it's gone so far that they can't not make it happen. Right. Yeah. Because otherwise what's that is been the, the problem. point of it all? That is the problem. Is the storyline a man and a woman who aren't in a uh, romantic or sexual relationship with each other can be friends. Are we doing when, when Harry when met Tim, Sally? When Tim met Aggie? Yes. Maybe. Maybe. I'd prefer that. Sadly, they can't get Carrie Fisher to play Aggie's best friend. Not anymore. Oh, damn it. Oh, well. Oh, well. What was your earrings of the week? <laughs> Were they the pink locks that Dee Dee was wearing? Or was it the big, massive uh, tortoiseshell hoops that Alia was wearing? Uh, Alia, probably. Hmm. I, don't, I don't really know this. <laughs> Moving on, our next storyline is Dramatic Amateurs. On Monday, Ken is editing his script in Nina's roles. And Brian is unimpressed, thinking that Red Pen Ken is favouring Wendy, giving her a bigger part at other people's expense mm-hmm. he accuses ken of having the hots for wendy which ken flatly denies brian goes off to tell mary 
who goes off on a three-minute riff about Wendy Crozier and her siren of a name, wondering how perhaps her own life could have been different if she'd had such a name, maybe even ending up dating Jersey detective Jim Bergerac's former father-in-law, Charlie Hungerford. Then caught in a whirlwind of tangents on her tangents, Brian focuses her and Mary says that she has a plan. Observe Ken for proof of his crush. Yes. That seems to be her plan. Isn't her last name Papadopoulos now? Or has yeah. she gone back to Crozier? I think it's Papadopoulos. Yeah. Papadopoulos. Wendy Crozier. Wendy Crozier. Does have a good ring to it. Crozier. Papadopoulos. Of course, Wendy Flamin Crozier. Which maybe elevates it even more. Mm. I think I prefer Papadopoulos because it's more fun to say. It just makes me glad that I bought these these little <laughs> microphone shields because Papadopoulos is very plosive. Papadopoulos. Later during rehearsals, Mary gets the proof that she needs when she learns that her monologue has been removed from the script. What? Wendy backs Ken up saying, uh, we thought it made the story tighter to remove it. And the use of we right. makes Mary's piss boil and she yes. storms off in the huff. Ha-ha. This leaves Wendy in no mood to continue rehearsal and she leaves too. Brian tells Ken that he fucked up big time here. Ken remains insistent that he has no romantic interest in Wendy and his changes have been made in good faith. On Tuesday, Ken finds Mary in Nina's roles and tries to apologise again for fucking her over with her monologue. But, but Mary, I like that. Mary is in no mood to forgive and has actually taken a red pen to Ken's red pen alterations <laughs> to the script. <laughs> stick that in your pipe and smoke it. And then stick it right up your arse. Nope, not this week. Aww. Later in the pub, the group are rehearsing. Brian's character seems to be a Richard III type <laughs> and his overacting is pretty dreadful but it's complimented by Welsh Nigel, who thinks that Mary was only adequate, but he triggers a round of applause for Ken and his edits. At the bar after practice, <laughs> Brian warns Ken that they're about to lose Mary from the cast because she's still fuming about the monologue business and how Ken is favouring Wendy. At their table, Welsh Nigel suggests breaking into groups and puts Ken and Wendy together, but Ken has taken Brian's warning to heart and says he would rather work with Mary to get her lines polished up, something that Mary kind of appreciates right and they go back to do this at number one then welsh nigel comes in and has enjoyed working with wendy saying that he wouldn't mind a bit of that if it wasn't what? if it wasn't for ken having first dibs what ken acts all surprised and gives welsh nigel his permission to As pursue do we. his permission to pursue wendy saying they'd make a great couple welsh nigel isn't gay how is Welsh Nigel not gay? He's got to be gay. What is going on here? And as you pointed out earlier, he's like 30 years younger than Wendy. 23 years the junior, the actor is. And gay. And clearly gay. He was Very... wearing a, a sweater around his neck at one point, wasn't he? <laughs> You've got to be gay to do that. And he's got a well-trimmed beard. And and also clearly gay. Clearly gay. What is going on here? Is he is he hoping Wendy will be his beard? Is, now, he, is he is he does he need to pretend to be straight for his mum or something? And so he goes for someone who's the age of his mum and probably wouldn't want to shag him. Yeah. So he's. What is going on here? He's a a couple of years younger than me. The actor is right. And Wendy, the actor that plays Wendy, is 70. So there's a 
It's like if you were dating my mum. I know, and <laughs> never say that again. <laughs> but that's kind of, it's, it's like... Now, I'm not one to to piss on anyone's chips here. If that's, right, yeah. if, if that's your thing, good luck to you. Right, but, yeah. Remember, we did have a successful Leo and Jenny for a while until Leo fell off something. Right. Which was different to Adam falling off something. Right, yes. Even though the Adam falling off something because, was from a much higher height and right, yeah. onto Adam, his head. Adam had already signed his contract for the next year. Right. You never climb anything if, you, if you're in contract negotiations. I don't right, think. yes. So... So what is going on here? But this just felt like it was coming out. First of all, there was there's been no inclination no. at all that that Welsh Nigel fancies Wendy. Right. None whatsoever. If anything, it seemed like he fancied Ken. I wondered if this was maybe Brian and Mary's plan. Right. Maybe they convinced Welsh Nigel to pretend to be into Wendy. Right. To force to light a fire to Ken hand on this but if that was the case then there was always the, the potential for the backfire that we right. haven't talked about yet but that's the only thing i can think of because it's just it's just so strange and that's before we even talk about the fact that ken gives welsh nigel his permission right that's kind of icky isn't it yeah well it was icky for welsh nigel to even suggest that he wants ken's permission yeah, I'd have gone for that if it wasn't for you having first dibs, basically. Ugh. What's going on here? Yeah. Wait, it, it, it just... I don't know. I it's, don't it's, know. it's good that it generates a reaction, I guess. I, I, well, yes. A, a reaction of confusion, though, and disbelief, as, as everyone who watches Coronation Street says in one voice, wait a second, he's not gay? Well... We were about as far apart um, geographically as we can be in this house when you were watching it. Right. And I could hear you saying, wait, what? <laughs> and knew exactly which bit you were talking about. <laughs> Back in the Rovers, Welsh Nigel asks Wendy out, saying that he has Ken's permission. Wendy is surprised by this, but Welsh Nigel insists, saying that Ken thought they'd be a great couple. Furious. Wendy stormed round to number one, saying that she let Nigel down gently by telling him to go fuck himself, he's gay. Ken just wanted to keep a safe distance between him and her, and in actual fact, he actually fancies the pants off of Wendy himself and wouldn't mind a bit of that either. No. Wendy is overcome with emotion and confusion from two proposals in as many hours, and in a fluster, she leaves. Yes. Then on Wednesday, she goes back to see Ken to clear the air. He apologises, thinking that he misread the situation, but no, wait a minute, she confirms that she feels the same way. It came as a shock, and she was embarrassed to admit her feelings, so they agree to enter into a sexual relationship with each other, and they're about to get down to it when Amy comes in, thinking that they're rehearsing for the play. Right. We're not, says Ken, we're about to have full intercourse. Amy shrugs, thinking Tracy is going to fucking kill the pair of them, Right. but she wishes them both well. Yes. And it was nice to see Amy, however briefly. Yeah. She must be over the COVID. And isn't she at college now? No. She was going to college. She's wasn't going she? to college, but she's still living at home because she and Jacob had to move back in with Tracy and Steve because their their place was Are they still there? Grubby. Yes, I'm assuming so. Jacob's they, still there? Yes. 
We just haven't seen him because he was at his sister's wedding. We're assuming. Who knows? Um, he definitely got an invite to that, right? I would hope so. Right. It's his sister. Right. In the Rovers, Wendy is impressed with the new changes to the script that have fleshed out Mary's part. Then Mary shows up and is pissed to see that Wendy is present to what was supposed to be a one-to-one, and then she calls Wendy Yoko. Yes, that was hilarious. Yoko Papadopoulos. Yoko Papadopoulos. Later at the bar, Welsh Nigel shows up and Wendy announces that she will be stepping down as the leading lady. Oh no, says Mary, lightheartedly. She right. has not taken this decision. So she's, so she's finally finished her thought. She said Yoko, and now she's saying, oh no. So she finally said Yoko Ono's name completely. That is perhaps the cleverest thing you've ever said. <laughs> and you said some very clever things. <laughs> I've been much more clever than this. Oh, no, that's... There's like minutes between the two halves of that joke. (laughs) Good stuff. She hasn't taken this decision lightly, but she doesn't mention her being sexually active again with Ken. However, at the bar, Brian has noticed the fireworks between Ken and Wendy and successfully guesses the lay of the land, but he has promised to secrecy from Ken. Brian approves of being in on the secret. And Welsh Nigel has had no luck sourcing another leading lady, so Wendy suggests Mary. After all, she's been to all the rehearsals and she knows the play and the parts inside out. Mary agrees to step up in the hour of need for the good of the company. She does it for the love of the craft. And then she barks at Brian to get her file. She's got rewrites to get rewritten. Uh Uh-oh. And that's as far as we get with that this week. So who's going to take over Mary's role then? Well, Mary apparently had a role that anyone could have done, but the only other person that was at the rehearsals is Evelyn, and she's fucked off to whatever it is that she's fucked off to. Right. I liked how they asked Daisy, and Daisy said, you couldn't afford me. Right. They're like, it's volunteer. (laughs) And that is not a word that exists in Daisy's vocabulary. That is correct. Yeah, that was good stuff. It was very good. What do you think of this whole play thing? I like it. I like it a lot as well. I'm confused by it. Indeed. But I like it because like it. this is this this is the stuff I like, you know this and the anorak and the Dev and Bernie getting back together and the jig tig and the jig tig yeah these are the things I enjoy. Give me more of that please and stop giving stop giving me guns and and bullying and tragedy and loss. Yeah, it's good that Ken is getting to be his pompous self to the max in this. We've been the the red pen editor on the on the script. And this feels like about as close as we're going to ever get to the Mary Taylor one-woman show that yes. that was promised, I think, before and during the COVID. I really hope we get to see some of it because they have a horrible history of promising these kind of productions and then we'd never get to see it. Right. Yeah, like Mary's thing. Like Mary's thing. But we did get to see a little bit of the school nativity play. Remember when, yes, when remember Brian when, when puked Brian on everyone? Vomited on everyone, and that yeah. was a real low Delightful. point. And uh, I don't think Coronation Street has ever been as bad as it was when Brian was hoisted <laughs> by Phil the Prick and swinging over the governors and vomiting onto the audience. I think that was right. a that was a low point for me. But at least we got to see. It's part still of the not play. as low as the floating gun, though. Well, nothing will be lower than a floating just, gun. That's just buoyancy. <laughs> yeah, something guns are well known uh, for. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm liking the I'm liking the play. I'm liking Mary's just 
like she's hilarious, right? Yes. But in moments like this, so difficult to get on with. Right. <laughs> Unless you're Brian. Right. Unless you're on her side. <sighs> Very difficult to get on with. I wonder if they'd ever consider hooking Brian up with Mary. I think that would work. I don't think so. I don't think so. I want Mary to shag. <sighs> Give Mary a sexual partner. That's the storyline I want. Well, Welsh Nigel is, I don't think, looking for Mary's qualities in his conquests. No. No. Because she's like his age. Yeah. And up until this week, we presumed that he's looking for a bobby. Yes. Apparently not. Well, Mary could have one. <laughs> we don't know. Have you seen Mary naked? I haven't. Okay, then. Uh, and I can't say I've thought about it often. Occasionally, 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 but you're thinking about it now. Um, it's all right. (laughs) It's hard to picture her without a nice jumper on. It's true. So in my mind, the jumper is still on. (laughs) So it's the bottoms that are that are off, exposed. Anyway. Anyway, moving on to our, I think, penultimate, yes, penultimate storyline of the week. This is Maxi Pad Headroom. On Tuesday, Mary leaves David in the lurch, telling him that she has council business to take care of rather than cutting people's hair, and this puts David in a bad mood, so he refuses to take an already late Max to school, but is forced to promise to pick him up at home time. They should have a Google Calendar or something for the two of them to run this business. Instead of, of, oh, by the way, I have a meeting this morning, so you need to cover. I'll just talk to each other, but before. A few hours before Yeah, the, like about work, right. as opposed to all the stuff they do talk about with one another. Yeah, well, there's a good point. They're at work all the time with each other. Right. That would be a prime time to Why is there no calendar hung up in, like, the the employee lounge at the barber's? Employee lounge. <laughs> right. Stapled on at the motorbike. <laughs> we keep Audrey from tripping over it again. Right. Max is walking to school, I think. I think he's walking to school not home from school when he gets picked on by his bullies who steal his lunch push him over and then scoosh his crotch with a water bottle making it look like max has pissed himself he's just walked out of fresh goats with food in a bag so is he going home then i think he is i, I think he's going out to wait for his dad because his dad is supposed to be picking him up remember so the school's at fresco no maybe fresco is like halfway between the school and home halfway between yeah right like maybe. in the middle i don't know who knows Max's day, probably people do know that. Max's well, if you day, do, you know what to do. But none of those people are currently sitting at this table because recording we, this podcast. Because we desperately, we haven't used uh, the blue, 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 bloop in ages. We haven't. And that doesn't mean that we haven't been getting things wrong. <laughs> I think it's just people have just given up trying to teach us things, which is fair enough. Yeah, the bullies are particularly cruel here when they make it look like he's wet himself i thought that's a bit of humiliation right these are the guys these are the guys who catfished him yeah like a month and a half ago so we're going back to that yeah i suppose even though didn't they get their comeuppance for the whole catfishing thing i don't think so max's day doesn't get better when david doesn't pick him up because maria's council business something to do with asylum seekers or something has run late but he must explain what happened, though, because in Nina's roles later, 
Maria thinks the bullies should be reported and David is worried that he's not handling the situation well. Max, though, to his credit, insists it's nothing and besides, he ain't no fucking snitch. Get snitches, get stitches. That's right, he's no grass. I approve of this. On Wednesday, Max has had a glowing report from the pupil referral unit. So much so that David is proud and agrees to give him a ride to school. Belter. David meets up with Brian later and after discussing haircuts and massive heads for a while David explains about the bullying and wonders what the chances are that Weddy High would take Max back Brian thinks that exclusions tend to be of a permanent nature and David will be wasting his time Max is being bullied by the two evil boys who call him Max Headroom and Maxipad and other things, Mad Max Do they even know who Max Headroom is? They don't call him Max Headroom I know, we have a Max Headroom calculator in this house to avoid them, he starts talking to Maria and asking her about her day, and she says she's off to look at refugee children and asks Max if he wants to tag along. Given the choice of that and getting called names by two nasty boys, Max agrees and goes off with Maria. I think it's just one particular refugee child, yes? Later, he and Maria descend on Nina's roles where Shona is working, and she's somewhat proud to learn that Max has been looking at refugee children and even seems to have befriended one of them named Darian who apparently is super cool. Shona reveals David's plan to get him back in Weddy High and Max can barely control his glee. At first she's mad at him, though, because she didn't know where he was and apparently his dad's going all over the place trying to find him. Yeah. Which was weird. It was weird. Like, it's like, like you guys David don't cares. care where your kids are? <laughs> when have you guys ever cared where your kids were? Right. Even that time Lily choked, I don't even remember anyone caring about that. They nearly lost one of them. Child down. Child down. Yes. Silent Sam had to throw a telescope <laughs> over a barrier <laughs> to, to get people's attention because oh, Lily Silent was Silent Sam. Remember that? Silent Sam. That went on for a while, didn't it? It was the Sam of silence. <sighs> it's no necklace of the week. I'm not going to lie. It's not even Yoko Ono. No. It's, it's not. But that was the storyline title that was eluding me <laughs> six months ago. <clears throat> well, the refugee child has been given a name, so yes. I presume we're going to meet him. Yes. We're getting refugees and maybe, in the show now. Hopefully, that's what the story is about and not Max getting bullied. Why can't it be all those things? I don't know. It feels like we've already. It feels like we've already been here with refugee children. No, we've already been here with bullying. Oh, the bullying, yeah. Because Sam was just bullied a couple weeks ago. Sam was. Yeah, by those kids who said, "Oh yeah, we're gonna show up and play chess with you." <laughs> sure right. we are. Ha 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 ha. And then See don't you show later, up. later, then Sam. We'll we'll play you chess later, eh? Bye, Sam. Mm-hmm. Sure, we're your friends. Is that bullying? I guess it's bullying. That is bullying. To say that you're going to be somewhere and then not be somewhere? Because you it's think the person's weird? Or, or unreliable. No, I don't think it. They, they had no intention of playing chess. Look at those kids. They didn't. Those kids don't know how to play chess. <laughs> well, that's the whole point that we're going to learn. Do we know where this refugee is from? They haven't mentioned it. So, I mean, what's, what's the refugee's name again? Darian. Darian. That kind of has a more Eastern European flavour to it. Really? Doesn't it? Or Russian or something like that. 
more than like it doesn't sound that African or or Middle Eastern because mm. I would think Ukraine or Afghanistan or Iran Iran's quite a bit of a mess maybe even China there was a, a, a coup attempted in China and it wasn't even covered in the news because so many things are going wrong in the world <laughs> a busy news day then Venezuela probably not Venezuela probably not Venezuela no probably be over in that hemisphere that one over there mm-hmm. not this one no it's nice and it seems like you know this this is something that's that's relevant and and current mm-hmm. with with our current earth right and everything so this this feels really good and it it seems like this refugee will teach max a lesson about how he should be grateful that he has a dad who's alive and stuff and maybe Max will turn a corner and will no longer be awful to women and children. Yeah, because I still think that... And will get his I, grades up. I still think that, that Max has the potential for being a really nasty shitbag. Yeah, but I, he wasn't this week. But I don't know. Yeah, because the tables have turned and right. people are being shitbags to him. Right. And he clearly doesn't like it. You'd think that would be the kind of wake-up call. You wouldn't need to get refugees involved in it. But Right. Well, maybe it's both. But I, I approve. I'm... I'm I'm uh, interested to see where where Darien is from. Goes. Yeah, hopefully it's not something like Africa or South America. Why? Hopefully they'll be more specific than a continent. Oh yes, let's hope so. Or Asia. You just got to name continents now. Just the continents where people who are of a certain skin tone tend to generalize. I'd like them to be from Antarctica. <laughs> Our final storyline this week. He's not a penguin. His. Summer of Misery. It'd be cool if he was a penguin. On Tuesday, in Nina's roles, Summer and Aaron have the day off and plan to do something wild like fly a kite naked or go bowling naked or other things naked. Billy comes in briefly to be annoying over Summer's diabetes monitor and to announce that the bishop is visiting later. And this already sounds like five episodes of Terry in June. Right, yeah, because her... her it was she'd left her phone and her phone was making a lot of noise the alarm was going off on her phone for her thing and that's just because they were too far away from each other ah. yes. later Aaron has nicked his dad's wallet so he can't buy any booze and discovers some drugs in there Summer is wary after her spice encounter from years ago did she have a different head on for that? I can't remember no I think it was this head, so this head. but it's just weed but Aaron insists it's just weed it is just weed and then he kind of pressures her to take a bit of it she says that she doesn't want to smoke it. Oh, you don't need to smoke it, baby. Right. You need to smoke it. Right. Yeah. <coughs> they, he's, he's creepy as fuck, actually, they, this week. They don't, they don't seem to understand how you're not supposed to eat a whole right, a whole weed brownie. Oh, well, well, you're jumping the gun here. These people should all be dead now. So next we see... <coughs> next we see they're back in the flat, covered in shite from making making brownies. And giggling like Ryan did that time we met him years ago when he was drunk and fell over things. Right, yes, because apparently this is what happens when you're high. You you can't you can't reach your mouth with food and you giggle a lot. Well you do giggle a lot. Some people giggle a lot, not everybody. They hear the key in the lock and Summer shits herself. It's the Billy, she says. <laughs> and it is the Billy. It's the Billy. And it's the Todd as well. Oh no. And when Todd figures out what's been going on, the buzzer goes. It's a bishop. No! He's early. And this is definitely the whole of season three of Terry and June. This is, remember the last time the bishop showed up and 
Somebody was naked? Probably. Was it Paul or was it Todd who was naked? One of them was naked. I think it was Paul. I think it was Paul's turn to, to, be, naked. to be naked in front of the bishop. I thought, you know, we've, we've kind of derided some of the drunken acting that, that goes on. I, I really enjoyed Aaron and Summer being stoned. And I liked how Aaron particularly was taking the piss out of Billy by standing with his hands in his hips. Well, yes, I enjoyed that bit. That was funny. I, I, the giggling could have been toned down After a little bit. And also, funny. where was the paranoia? There was no, they were not paranoid at all. And they were not hungry. Well, they're just taking it. Right, they would just taken it. The munchies so sh- comes later, doesn't it? They should be that giggly. I think the munchies comes later. I think they're giggly just to be giggly. I don't even think I don't even think they even put the weed in properly into those brownies. With Aaron and Summer thrown into Summer's bedroom, that's a great idea. Yeah, covered in <laughs> chocolate and high as fuck. <laughs> Billy tries to entertain the bishop, but not like that. No. Todd snatching one of the brownies from the bishop's plate, saying it's for charity. The bishop understands but confesses that he's eaten one already. Right. And there was another nice little bit where uh, Aaron, and Aaron, as he's about to go into Summer's bedroom, grabs the tray of brownies and, right. and taught us to rush after him and snatch it back. I thought it was pretty funny as well. You're not supposed to eat a whole brownie, folks. You only eat like a corner. You don't eat the whole thing all at once. Same, same with other edibles. You don't eat the whole thing. Well, I think it depends on how much you put in it, doesn't it? Yeah, and it was it was like a dime bag. It wasn't even. Oh, listen to you. <laughs> it wasn't even that big. So that I, I Helen grew up in the streets. Everybody. <laughs> no dime bag. Helen grew up in a place with lots of cornfields where teenagers would go and smoke pot, did, and also did you have in a cemeteries. Bomb? I did. <laughs> I did. I had a She's nice so bong. Street. Yes, yes, because weed is street. No, it's just your, your use of the term dime bag that is really <laughs> making me chuckle. <clears throat> the the drug vernacular always works well. <clears throat> so the bishop's now high as well, stoned out of his tits as he tells a story about a man ripping his trousers. Todd takes the bishop home, leaving Billy to shout at Aaron and Summer, blaming him, Aaron that is, and saying that he might lose his job, Billy that is. Summer does not give a fuck. She no. says that she had fun and she and Aaron leave. But right, interestingly, because it's just weed. Weed is practically legal everywhere in this country because it's a good thing. Weed is good. Weed is not a bad drug. Weed is better than alcohol because there, it doesn't depress you. There's some, there's some conservative... Uh, uh, I don't know if it's if there were ministers necessarily but they wanted to uh, upgrade it to a class a drug which would put it alongside ecstasy and heroin yeah it was like that here nixon did that because nixon hates black people but he's dead now so now it's That's fine not just mostly black people get high though right no no but Ah, we don't have time to get into Nixon hating black people and using drugs as a way to put black people down. We don't have time for that today. Not in this podcast. Not in this podcast. So, what I'm curious about is, they come out of that room and they're not covered in chocolate anymore. How did they get washed? (laughs) They go to Nina's rolls and remain unrepentant. They've had fun today, something that they were both due after all they've had to put up with lately. In the pub... 
Billy is getting wired into a pint as he worries about 18-year-old Summer getting stoned on mood-altering drugs. It's the fact that, I don't know if this was deliberate, but Todd and Billy standing together drinking alcohol, complaining about Summer taking weed. Right, was, yeah. Was kind like, of, come on, guys. was either hypocritical or well done, Corey. Or both. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the whole thing. The way they're acting like weed is meth. Todd tells Billy to chill the fuck out. The Thank dude, you, Todd. The dude abides, the dude, says Todd. He does. On We're not we- even making that up. On Wednesday in the morning, Billy is in a conciliatory mood as Summer pretends to be going through cold turkey. He realises that he's overreacted and apologises, and Summer apologises too. He reminds her that she has her insulin pump fitting today, and she's on her own because he has a meeting about how religion is a thing and stuff. He suggests that she ropes Aaron in. Doesn't she already have her pump because of the whole alarm thing earlier? No, that's what she was going to get fitted. So the two of them hook up, and he's a bit of a prick when Paul shows up, obviously missing his chance to give them a hard time about drugs being bad, okay? Aaron thinks that she should keep Paul on a leash, which I thought was a bit of a rude thing for Aaron to say. Right. But Paul does say, what's next? Ease? Speed? Coke? And you're like, Paul, what is... Your name is Apollo. Your mother shagged a Gallagher. <laughs> you should know better when it comes to weed. Right. Allegedly, she shagged a Gallagher. At the garage, a younger and angrier version of Kev shows up looking for Aaron and is Mardi to Tyrone and Fizz. This is Aaron's dad. And he launches himself at his son demanding to know where his fucking weed is going to. Tyrone is a bit of a wuss, so it takes old man Kev showing up to put his doppelganger in his place. Kev calls Aaron a drunk and tells him to go home and sober up. Not Aaron, Aaron's dad. Yes, which he does after threatening Aaron a bit more. And at this point, we're painting characters with very fine brushes here, aren't we? Yes. Summer rushes round to see how Aaron is doing, but all Aaron can think about is whether his dad is okay, and he rushes off, promising to be careful, while everyone takes the piss out of Tyrone for being a pussy. Later, Aaron makes up with Summer ahead of her appointment, which she's already missed. Aaron's dad has beaten them up again by biting them on the arm or something. Looks like he burnt him. That was really weird. Summer is appalled. Back at the flat, she continues to be appalled when Paul comes in, angry to have heard about the confrontation at the garage that seemed to be about drugs and gay. Aaron has no interest discussing this with dad number three, but when he goes to leave, Paul grabs his arm, and this triggers Aaron, who belts Paul in the mush. Right, because that's the arm that has these big wounds on on them. them. So that can't be comfortable for poor Aaron. So of course he punches him. Oh, you're team Aaron on this? I would have punched him too. Paul? Paul doesn't know. No. So I sympathize with Paul as well, but yeah, I am not team Paul this week. When it comes to summer, I don't think anything Paul says this week makes any sense at all. Paul sounds to me like he's just pissed off that he wasn't involved in any of the whole brownie stuff. Right. He just didn't happen to be the, the, the assistant dad who was there that day. Well, why was Todd the assistant dad that was there? It was his turn. <laughs> well... There was a scene in the street where Billy is walking along quite happily with two bags of shopping and then says to Todd, can you take this bag for me? That suddenly 
has an extra fifty pounds in it when right. when Todd gets it, so he has to help him back to flat. That's right. why he's there. Yes. But why Todd is there when the bishop's there? The bishop's there to see Billy. Billy, right? Not Billy and Todd. But, but Todd is there to kind of keep control of Aaron and Summer. I am still angry that we haven't addressed the fact that Todd has managed to wangle his way back into Billy and Paul's good books. Right. Here. He must have an impressive wangle. <laughs> he must do. It's called Yoko. <clears throat> oh, no. And it has its own necklace. <laughs> and earrings. And it it's a does. matching set. It probably does. Maybe not the earrings. That's. Is that a bridge too far for you? That's a biffin bridge too far. <laughs> so, uh, yes, yeah, Anne is shocked by his own temper, rushes off, and Summer, who is an apologist for a frequently violent boy, chases after him, much to Paul's disbelief. She tracks him down to Nina's roles and tells him to tell Paul and Billy about what's going on with his dad, and Aaron thinks that he's bad news and it's no excuse, but he eventually agrees to Summer's demands, telling her that he's only doing it for her. Meanwhile, Paul has explained Aaron's actions to Billy, and tells him that he's planning on grassing them up to the cops for assault. Paul's gone when Summer and Aaron show up, and Aaron shows off those bite marks or whatever, and explains that his dad gets hungry when he's drunk. Shocked, Billy tells Aaron that he can stay with them at the flat where he's safe, but he has to explain to Paul about what's going on. So Billy meets Paul later, and casts up the will thing, which I thought would be a kind of dangerous thing to do, because if you cast up the will thing, you remember the Todd thing, but not this week. Not this week. Saying that Paul was willing to help Will, and that wasn't even a real thing. Right. Well, Billy wants to do the same for Aaron, and it is a real thing. Yes. He appeals to Paul's good nature not to grass Aaron up. So Paul goes to the flat and asks for a private word with Aaron. Paul sympathises with Aaron's situation, and he won't go to the cops, but he knows how this story ends, and it's not with a happy ever after. Someone has enough drama in her life, and if Aaron cares for her at all, he'll do the right thing. Leave her alone. Do the right thing. And that's how we end this week's episodes. So does this mean Paul has been under similar circumstances to Aaron? Yeah. So does this mean that Paul doesn't think that he's worthy of love either? Is he projecting onto Aaron? But not like that? Mm. There is certain hypocrisy or forgetting about his own situation that was somewhat addressed by by Billy but not not entirely and not really because you know I'm, I'm talking about the abuse that Paul oh, underwent by a paternal fig- figure I think that's why Paul says that he can sympathise that he knows right. what, what Aaron's talking about right but he doesn't seem to remember the severity of that or or he does and because he doesn't feel that he's worthy of love that Aaron shouldn't be worthy of love either I don't know, this is all the confusion of the three dads thing. I don't think it helps that you've got Paul trying to be the, almost like the primary caregiver here when he's, he's not. He's temporary at best. Right. And in the pecking order recently has very much been dad number three. Right. And maybe that has a part of it as well, that he he feels left out on the parenting of Summer lately. And that's, that's kind of where I was going with the, the drug thing was right. just because he wasn't there the previous day when it was all kicking off with the right. bishop. He has to overcompensate for that. Right. But 
I don't know if I don't know if they're going that deep on this. <laughs> it wouldn't Who surprise knows? me if they weren't. But yeah, it was a it was a, an odd an oddly unsympathetic and uh and harsh Paul who again through the will thing was a helpline operator and mm-hmm. kind of designed to understand people's perspective right. and stuff and like that. And maybe because that went horribly wrong, he's kind of afraid to to do it again. Because if this was a different situation and Aaron's name was Will, then what Paul's doing here, rather than keeping Aaron away from Summer, is he's going round to Aaron's dad and kicking the fuck out of him. That's what he's more likely to do. Right, yeah, that does feel like it would be much more with his personality, but he's more concerned about Summer than Aaron in all of this. Where I am entirely on Paul's side, though, is Summer has enough drama in her life. Lord knows we've talked about it. Too much going on in Summer's life to have another thing like this going on in it. And we've said numerous times and and fairly recently that we get the we get one part of it all tied up and we still have the Aaron side of it and the Aaron's dad side of it still to take care of. So and and try to deal with the drama that Summer's got going on, this bit has been lingering and, and still does. Yeah, but I think Aaron has his moments where he is good for Summer because he gets her mind off of things. You know, they go to buy a kite and they don't have a kite at the cabin, which, why wouldn't they? Why would our news agents have a kite? They have compact discs from the year 2000. Yeah, so maybe their stock isn't up to date. <laughs> maybe maybe Rita's lost sight of their, uh, their, their kite inventory. Right. Why can't they just get on a bus and go to a toy store and buy one? Adam was quite keen on doing naked things. Right. I keep on forgetting that Summer's 18 and this is fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. all right. Uh, have they shagged yet? Or do we yes, not? Yes, I think they have. Right. We just aren't aware of it because we were focused more that week on somebody else losing their virginity. Because remember, they stayed at a hotel the same week that Addie and Kelly got it on. Oh, yeah, they went to the hotel and they didn't, I don't think. Or maybe they did. And we just don't know. Do you know what? That's none of our business. It's none of our business. None of our business. None of our business. It's, we don't need to know. It's So long as it was safe. Right. And it was consensual. Yes, that's all we care hotel. about. That's, that's all. All we, we, we care about. We don't have to get involved in... Safety and consent. That's it. Right. And and a little bit of tickling. And <laughs> and that's that's all, all that no. we, we need to concern no. ourselves with. No. Not, not even that. No. No tickling. Okay. No okay. tickling. No tickling. So we do concern ourselves with that, but it's a firm no on the tickling. Firm no on tickling. Firm yes <coughs> on consent and safety. Yeah. Uh, the dad was a bit uh, cookie cutter, abusive dad, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, shows did, up. he did look like Aaron, though. I think they cast him well. He does look like an older Aaron. He's a good foot short of them, but that's kind of what happens with parents and children, right? Hmm. But... um. Yeah, he just shows up and starts. I mean, Tyrone is trying to be helpful, and right. then he tells him that he doesn't need his help, and is kind of rude to Fizz and, right. and all that, just unnecessarily 
just a wrong and right, just in case so you very, don't know that he's a bad guy he's a because, bad guy all right because he's so very angry because he doesn't have his weed because right. if there's one thing we know about the hippies and stoners they were an angry people a very angry bunch <laughs> they were so angry just breaking shit all over the place <laughs> right that was hippies right <laughs> yes yeah. hippies broke lots of things break those flowers break the daisy chain <laughs> Uh, it's like it's like it's like the writers watched uh what was what's the name of that movie? The one about weed Kez? from like the thirties? Oh no idea. Something freak. Cheech and Chong up in smoke? No, no. I wish they'd watch Cheech and Chong. Maybe then they'd know that Yeah, those were two violent hippies, weren't yes. they? Yes. There's one thing we know about Thomas Chong. <laughs> was that his name? He's violent. That's Thomas his real name. Chong? Tom Chong. Tom Chong. Tom Chong. Is that his real name? Yeah, and Cheech Marin. I knew Cheech. Yeah. I don't look like I knew Chong. Tommy I could, Chong. I couldn't identify them in a lineup. Really? Yeah. You could not identify Cheech Marin in a lineup. I don't think so. I can kind of understand Tommy Chong, but Cheech Marin, come on, man. I think I've probably picked the one that said, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. He's drunk and abusive. And Aaron stays with him to make sure that he gets fed or something. But Aaron is his carer. Right, because he drinks all the time. Not because he's sick. Well, it's not, I mean, he is sick because alcoholism is a disease, but... Well, not providing very much care then. Well, he's also got his own life because he's a kid and deserves his own life and just, shouldn't have to be his dad's carer. So now... And Billy, I don't think his... I think his dad resents the caring. I maybe. that's part of the problem. part of the problem. But Billy's saying, look, just... Remove yourself from that and come stay here. Right, which is the right thing to do. I have a whole different set of problems thrust upon you. Right, yeah. Billy must not Consensually have... Consensually Billy, Billy must not have told Paul that that Aaron is going to live there now. With his whole, you better leave her alone. Well, we're going to be living together, so... Right. Can it, Pops? Yeah, it, it seemed a, a strange... Uh, cliffhanger for the for the end of this. I'm sorry about how you feel, but you must never see her again. As you live right next door to her in the same apartment. They were playing the whole uh, weed thing for laughs. That was the whole bishop thing, right? That was the point of that. Yes. Because yes. we cannot skip over the fact that, that Billy could lose his job here if... If the bishop finds out that he got stoned, which, which I don't think he does. How would he not know? <laughs> Maybe he's never been stoned before. Well, he wouldn't should... that affect you even more then? He should be far, yeah, he should be far more stoned if he ate a whole pot brownie. Then again, like I said, they didn't really have enough pot for a whole pan of brownies, I don't think. Well, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. Right. Yeah. But oh, well. even, even Aaron doesn't lose his job. No, nobody loses his job. No. Because, uh, he does get warned not to bring drugs to work right, again. Right. Because of Abby. Because of Abby and the muck and right. stuff. Yes, because weed and muck are the same thing. I was worried that this was a, a start of a summer winding up on, on heroin yeah. storyline for Christmas. But yeah. maybe maybe not. Maybe maybe we're done with that. Yeah. We'll see. Weed is not a gateway drug. Well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. It was. What was your moment of the week? Jig tick. Jig tick was your moment of the week? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's got to be really, hasn't it? It, it does. <laughs> Which part of the jig tig, uh, Mary or Dev, would Mary? you have given it? Mary? Yes. 
because she actually knows how to <laughs> how to do it properly. She at least tagged something. Right. I don't think Dave tagged anything. No. Which is why probably lost. Yes. Jig Tig in the Rovers is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Our boring moment of the week. Cannon is red pen. Uh. Can you think of anything that was boring? Yeah, I can't really think of anything else. I was. It was a pretty exciting week. I was maybe drifting towards Lucy and Bridget, but that, that, that wasn't boring. Impor- yeah, that and was the, very important. Right. Yes, that was a plot point. Maybe a Brian's haircut. Did Brian get a haircut? He was talking about his haircut to David, so that was quite boring. Okay, yeah, let's do that then. Because he was talking about getting it, growing it out, wasn't he? I think he was talking about growing Something it out. Something like that, I don't remember. It was so and boring. And the reason that's why you don't remember it, because yeah. that was our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Well, that wraps it up for another week. We get to now attend homecoming over the weekend without... Having to rush back home, right? Do this you gotta kind of stuff, watch so. the parade and then go to the game, <sighs> and then leave the at next, half time. And then the next day, get a kid in a dress, curl the kid's hair, put on the kid's makeup, and shove her out <laughs> to go to a dance. Yeah. So thank you again to Coronation Street for uh, obliging against our so very convenient busy schedule for the week. If you want to get in contact with us, you can get a hold of us at the talk of the street at gmail.com. We're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can shout me and Helena Coffee by heading to ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of voggle.co.uk for links to our merch story, merch story, merch <laughs> store, and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Do it. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more Hot Talk of the Street. The Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. Bye.